0: Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Host a celebratory brunch for less with 365 by Whole Foods Market, featuring wallet happy finds like cold smoked Atlantic salmon and more.
1: You're listening to Life Kit from NPR. Hey, everybody. It's Marielle. There's this image that went viral earlier this year of the Pope looking, honestly, pretty stylish. He was wearing this white, puffy designer coat and rocking an enormous crucifix necklace outside of it. And he looks like he's just, you know, out for his morning coffee run. So I know Pope Francis is supposed to be like the relatable Pope, but I regret to inform you that this image is fake. It was created using AI, artificial intelligence software. Shannon Bond is a correspondent at NPR. She covers misinformation. And she says if you look closely,
2: you can see the clues. You know, one of the the sort of classic tells that people talk a lot about is um, that these image generators can really struggle with creating realistic hands. Um, hands are for some reason particularly tricky. Also things like teeth and accessories like glasses and, and jewelry. And so, um, you know, that was an example we saw with the image of the pope wearing the coat. Um, He seemed to be holding a coffee cup in his hand, but his fingers weren't actually like holding on to the coffee cup. And if you looked at the side of his eyeglasses, it, it sort of disappeared into his face like there wasn't a rim.
1: The guy who made this image, by the way, is quoted in BuzzFeed saying, I just thought it was funny to see the pope in a funny jacket. And it may seem like, okay, what's the big deal? This picture wasn't hurting anybody. But it does show that AI tools can make fake images that are convincing enough at first glance. And obviously that can be abused and it can be a way to spread lies and misinformation. On this episode of Life Kit, Shannon and I are going to talk about what you can do to spot AI generated images, audio and video. We'll also talk about how to use these tools responsibly and to talk to the kids and teens in your life about them. Established 100 years ago, the Kresge Foundation works to expand equity and opportunity in cities across America. A century of impact, a future of opportunity. More at kresge.org. So one way AI can be abused is politically. To make people think a politician or a government official said or did something they didn't. Recently, Shannon reported on a video posted by the presidential campaign for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. It included images of former President Trump hugging Anthony Fauci. Those images were apparently fake, AI-generated. This general topic came up at a recent Senate hearing with the company that makes the software
2: programs ChatGPT and Dolly. Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut, he played a synthetic version of his voice. Um, And then when you heard it compared right to his real voice, you know, that sounded similar, but maybe not exact. We We can take a listen.
0: We have seen how algorithmic biases can perpetuate discrimination and prejudice and how the lack of transparency can undermine public trust. This is not the future we want. If you were listening from home, you might have thought that voice was mine and the words from me. But in fact, that voice was not mine. The words were not mine.
1: Yeah, wow. I could not tell the difference between those two. It doesn't seem obvious
2: hearing them back to back. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, it sounded like he might have just been playing a recording of himself, maybe. Right? I mean, it can be pretty uncanny, and if you're if you're missing any sort of other context clues, um, it, it is really hard to tell this apart. And. The people that I've been talking to about these questions about detecting AI and, and how to spot fakes, there's a real issue here, which is there's sort of an arms race, right? The the software is rapidly improving. So newer versions of some of these image generators are actually much better at making hands. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as we've heard, you know, the voice technology is getting increasingly accurate and you know, videos are also getting better and better. And so there's a real danger in relying too heavily on these sort of these tells that that might be disappearing.
1: Are there any tools that you can use to help you figure out when something is AI? Like you could paste the photo, for instance, into some kind of software and it'll tell you?
2: Yes, there is detector software um, and it's it's can be accurate to a certain degree, but first of all, it won't catch everything. And again, the software is sort of constantly improving. And in some ways, it'll improve because of the things that can get caught by detectors, right? And so again, then then the software gets better, and it can't be caught by the detector, so the detector needs to get better. Um, And it it ends up, you know, I think that can be really difficult for people to sort of keep up. And I also think in some cases, these sort of tools um, can be difficult for people who aren't really versed in digital forensics to, to understand and use. And so, you know, there's there's this issue where you're we don't want to encourage people to be too skeptical in a way as well about about this content because that itself can backfire. Um, you know, if you're telling everybody that they need to be sort of doing a pixel by pixel analysis of every photo they see. I mean, first of all, I just don't think that's realistic. I mean, that's not the way we interact with the Internet, right? It's not like what you're thinking when you're scrolling through Twitter or, or Instagram. There's also this idea that it, it could give bad actors the opportunity to discredit real images and video as fake, right? If, if there's this idea that you can say anything is fake, um, then, then that's something that can actually be weaponized against us. And so we can't rely too much on these technological interventions.
1: Yeah, I wonder... If you can't rely on looking at tells or running photos or videos through some kind of detection tool is there anything else you can do I mean it, it seems like context is important right
2: Yeah, a lot of this comes back to sort of some real basics of of media literacy, right? Um, Or one of the researchers I spoke with, um, Irene Soleiman from, from the AI company Hugging Face, she calls this people literacy. And it's the idea that, right, you don't need like sophisticated technological analysis. You need to do things like think about context. You need to slow down. And this can sound like pretty dry, but it's actually really important advice—not just for thinking about AI-generated content, but pretty much you know anything that you're encountering on the internet. I mean, I cover dis and misinformation. You know, these are the kinds of tools we talk a lot about, um, in just terms of helping people like navigate what they're seeing. Um, I mean, think about it. when when you see something that is really appealing to you online, like what is it doing? It's probably triggering your emotions,
1: right? How do you actually verify if something in a photo is true? If you're looking at it, let's say it triggers an emotional reaction, and then you want to see, did this really happen?
2: So there's a method um, that's been developed by a research scientist named Mike Caulfield um, that's called the SIFT method. There's a, that's a pretty good framework for this, and, and SIFT stands for stop, investigate the source, find better coverage, and trace the original context. And so like one really basic thing is, you know, say it's something of a you know, public figure like the Pope, there's probably not going to be just one photo of this, right? There's probably going to be additional photos from multiple sources, you know, if this is a public event, um, you know, so that's just kind of one of the real basics. There is technology like Google reverse image search where you can click on a photo and basically Google will look and see if it's appeared elsewhere on the Internet. And Google has just recently announced some improvements to this reverse image search to actually make it a lot easier to see, you know, has a photo online appeared online before, um, you know, in what context. And, you know, that can be. Like, this is, again, not just about AI-generated photos. That can actually be really helpful about kind of any images that are shared with misleading or false context. You might have seen, you know, during hurricanes, sometimes people will share, like, there's this viral image of a shark swimming on a flooded highway. Yeah, Those things get shared over and over again. And that's kind of a good way to say, like, hey, wait, this actually is not, like, this is a really old photo.
1: Right. It might be a real photo that wasn't altered, but it says it's from a certain place and it actually is from a different place, different time.
2: Exactly. So that can be a really important step to do. Um, We were just talking about audio and just like how accurate that Blumenthal audio sounded. That is a real challenge. And we've seen already scammers have been using these kind of spoofed AI generated audio to call up people and impersonate their their relatives or a friend in distress, asking for money. You know, this has raised enough alarm that the Federal Trade Commission actually has put out a warning about this. And like that's really basic advice there. Like, if you get that kind of call, like, don't immediately, you know, open up your, grab grab your credit card and give your credit card number or you know, start sending something on Venmo. Um, call them back at a known number that you know is theirs to confirm, like, did you really call me right, or you know, is this really you?
1: There are some fakes that don't seem they don't seem malicious on the face of them. And so they've tricked me before. Like, if I see something that's accusing a public figure of doing a certain thing, I'm usually going to give that more scrutiny because like you say, it triggers a certain emotion in me, right? But I don't usually do that when I see videos that trigger like a positive emotion. I saw this thing that I sent to a friend the other day. It was like, just a woman opening up I guess clams are oysters like giant clams are oysters and in some part of the world and she found gold pearls inside but I sent it to him I just thought it was cool and then he was like that's definitely a fake and I was super embarrassed but also I was like why why would somebody fake this
2: I mean, I think we saw like – so I remember back to last summer when, when Dolly, the, the open AI g- image generator, first launched and then we, we quickly had a couple others. There's one called mid There's one called Stable Diffusion. And I think people love playing around with these. Um, I mean, that's how we got this Pope photo. That was not meant to be some sort of, like, misleading, like, I don't know. There was there was no sort of, you know, deep intention behind showing the Pope in the Balenciaga puffy coat. Uh, you know, the guy who made it apparently was just, like, he was just playing around and he thought it would be funny. Yeah. And that's what's really cool about this technology. Like, you know, you can have a lot of fun. You can use it for satire. You can, you know, use it with your friends. I think the problem is um, that, you know, we haven't really grappled with is this stuff gets decontextualized, right? So it's one thing if you, you know, you're going to create that photo and post it and say, hey, I made this. You know, isn't it so cool what Mid Journey can do right now? It can you know, make this you know, amazing image. But then that might get shared elsewhere without the context, without any kind of disclaimer that it was created by AI, and, you know, what do we do with that? And whose responsibility is it? This is something that has not been at all settled. Mm. We're just in this real kind of wild west right now where there aren't any norms around this. And actually, we're sort of we're in the process of developing norms around this. Yeah. It will not be the the, the last time, we you know, you fall for a, what looks like a really cool video, right?
1: Yeah. And I imagine it could also be a way for an account, say, on Instagram to get a lot of followers if they have, like, cool nature content, even if a lot of it's fake, you know. Right.
2: Yeah, there's good ways to monetize this. Um, you know, there's it's causing huge disturbances in the art world. The way this technology, especially the image technology, works is, you know, it's trained on actual images out in the world. And so you have artists who are very concerned that basically, you know, Dolly can create a, a, a painting or a, or a photograph in the style of a known artist. And what does that mean, um, you know, for their livelihoods? Uh, you can imagine there's all sorts of ways in which people can be using these things. Not again, not maliciously, but in ways that are really going to disrupt the way we think about, you know, creating and interacting with with content online.
1: Right. What about the language based AI like ChatGPT, which seems to be everywhere these days? Those chatbots can basically you can ask it a question. And then it'll spit out an answer, or it'll maybe do computer programming for you, or write you a poem, or whatever you ask it to do.
2: Yeah, they, I mean, they're they're incredibly. These systems are incredibly good at producing, you know, all different kinds of text. You know, they can sound like a person wrote it. It can sound you know, they can imitate Shakespeare. Um, as you said, they can do computer programming. ChatGPT recently released uh, an iPhone app, um, and I was using it the other night. You know, I have a seven-year-old. He has 10 million questions about everything in the world, and we were using it to, like, ask questions and see what it came up with. And it, it is it is pretty striking how much it, it sounds very persuasive, right? You can ask it a question, and it'll give you an answer that does sound plausible. Um, but it's really important to understand just because it's they sound, like, realistic, that doesn't mean that they're true or accurate. Here's how Gary Marcus, a cognitive scientist and professor emeritus at New York University, put it:
0: They don't have models of the world. They don't reason. They don't know what facts are. They're not built for that. They're basically autocomplete on steroids. They predict what words would be plausible in some context, and
2: plausible is not the same as true. So they make mistakes. Yeah, a lot they make of mistakes. Them. Yeah, and they make things up. I think you know, there's a couple things to think about. These chatbots are producing text that sounds really authoritative, um, but they can be wrong so they can just like insert errors they can do things like make up quotations they can make up research papers our, our colleague jeff brumfield who reports about science for npr you know he was able to get ChatGPT gpt to just like fully invent a news story that he never wrote mm. and and you know, some of this stuff is you know it, it is less serious but then you some of it's much more serious there was a case where chat gpt fabricated an allegation of sexual harassment against a law professor and so, it, you know, again, even though they, they have this format that makes it really seem like you are talking, A, to a person, and that, B, that this person is giving you authoritative information, um, that is not always the case. And so it's really important to, like, double-check anything that you hear from a chatbot, even if it comes with a link to a source. Like, does that source say what the chatbot is says it says?
1: Right. So how should you – if you're going to use something like chatbot, like, how should what, – what role – would it play in your work or your life?
2: I mean, I have found... At playing around with these things, you know, I, I think they can be really, I mean, first of all, it's just to be really fun, right? They can be, it, it's, it's fun to see what they can do, how they answer a question. One of the questions my son, I was asking ChatGPT the other night when we were, were asking questions was, you know, why is Shaquille O'Neal so tall? He's like obsessed with basketball right now, right? And, you know, it, it's, the answer started off like pretty plausible. It was like, well, you know, these characteristics come from genetics, but then it kind of went in this weird direction where it said, and also he, he became very famous playing basketball. So the reason that Shaquille O'Neal is tall is because of his genetics and also because he likes playing basketball. Oh, right. That doesn't make (laughs) any sense. Right. Doesn't make any sense. But I think that it was really instructive actually to say like, oh, look, it got that wrong. And that was really obviously wrong. But if you are looking for information, you might not know that the thing is telling you is wrong. So I think some of the advice here is to just double check if it's, I mean, if you are actually getting like, concrete pieces of information from from a chatbot or some other kind of, you know, language-producing software. Actually, you know, just check out the facts. Like, does this seem true?
1: Right.
2: You know, one of the folks I've been talking to about using AI is a professor at the Wharton School, the University of Pennsylvania, named Ethan Malik. And you know, he teaches, uh, you know, graduate students about entrepreneurship. And, you know, he's really interesting. He is really embraced using AI in the classroom. Um and, you know, he even requires his students to use AI as, as part of their work. Um, but he's also wary about the, the ways, you know, that it can get things wrong. And so this is how he described, you know, what he sees as the best way to use it. You can think of it as like an infinitely helpful intern with access to all of human knowledge and who, who makes stuff up every once in a while.
1: You know, I'm wondering if ChatGPT makes stuff up because it's embarrassed if it doesn't know the answer.
2: <laughs> well, see how we even think about how we're even talking about it, like saying that it knows or that it's making things up. Like, it's really hard to talk about these things without even like attributing some kind of intentionality or like kind of like personhood to this. But it's really important to remember they're not thinking and they're not. They don't understand, right? They they can play chess against you, but that doesn't mean they have a conception of like what chess is or what a chessboard is. Like it's broken everything down into sort of this system of statistical relationships, and that's where things can get really weird.
1: Hmm. You mentioned uh, that you're doing going through these exercises with your son with ChatGPT, and it sounds like you're both kind of learning about its limitations at the same time. Is that something you suggest that parents do, that they kind of, that they talk to their kids about AI and its uses, but also many limitations?
2: I think it's, it's incredibly important because, like I said, we're sort of in this moment where we're trying to develop norms around this stuff. And I think a lot of parents are trying to figure this out. Like, you want to kind of be there with you, your kid and kind of walk them through and, t- and talk about it and, like, have a conversation. Um, and so, you know, some of this stuff, you know, is you know you have to think about the age you're at. You know my my kid's seven. Like he doesn't have unfettered access to the internet or to any of these tools. And so we are just sort of talking about like you know how this works. Does that sound right? That doesn't you know maybe that's kind of weird. Like how or how how better should we ask this question to try to get it to give us the answers that we're looking for? Like to keep it focused. Um, I would think, you know, I think for older kids, you know, a really important thing to talk about um, and and that adults should be aware about, too, is, like, if you're interacting with these systems, like, think about the personal information you might be sharing. Probably don't put your personal health information into it. Um, I think there's also, you know, conversations to to be had about the ethics, like, of why you're using this. What are you going to use this to create? I mean, certainly with kids, that's going to come up in the context of school, right? I mean... You know what's happening in high schools and universities um, professors are trying and teachers are trying to deal with you know what what appears to be you know a lot of kids using chat GPT to, to do their homework yeah. and so thinking about you know what you're using it for and how you're disclosing if you have created something with AI um, yeah. something that you create might be shared you know out of context and, you know, what's your responsibility to label it and to say this was made with Dolly or this was, you know, I asked ChatGPT this and this is the answer that I got.
1: Shannon, thank you so much for being here. This has just been super informative. I feel like I learned a lot.
2: Thanks for having me. And uh, this is this is really me. This is not my AI voice. Don't worry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That terrifies me, by the way. For more Life Kit, check out our other episodes. We have one on how to find balance when you're spending too much time looking at screens and another on what to do when you're anxious. You can find those at npr.org slash lifekit. And if you love Life Kit and want even more, subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash lifekitnewsletter. Also, have you signed up for Life Kit Plus yet? Becoming a subscriber to Life Kit Plus means you're supporting the work we do here at NPR. Subscribers also get to listen to the show without any sponsor breaks. To find out more, head over to plus.npr.org LifeKit. And to everyone who's already subscribed, thank you. This episode of LifeKit was produced by Thomas Liu. Our visuals editor is Beck Harlan, and our visual producer is Kaz Fantoni. Our digital editors are Malika Greeb and Danielle Nett. Megan Kane is the supervising editor, and Beth Donovan is our executive producer. Our production team also includes Andy Tegel, Audrey Wynn, Claire Marie Schneider, Margaret Serino, and Sylvie Douglas. Engineering support comes from Josh Newell, Stu Rushfield, and Stacey Abbott. I'm Mariel Segarra. Thanks for listening.
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Schizophrenia and Psychosis Action Alliance, working to shatter barriers to treatment, survival, and recovery so that people with schizophrenia can thrive. They are one of the few advocacy organizations focused only on schizophrenia and psychosis, and as a result, have a deep understanding of this brain disease. They actively partner with like-minded organizations to conduct research, improve access to resources, and empower individuals with schizophrenia and their families. More at WeCanThrive.org.
1: My greatest hope for the Voices of Black Women study is that it will help us understand and identify culturally tailored ways to change and really eliminate the unacceptable disparities
2: for future generations of Black women as it relates to cancer.
0: To learn more, go to voices.cancer.org. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone.